a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. Coming up on the program. Chinese President Xi Jinping held talks with visiting Colombian President Gustavo Petro as the two heads of state announced the elevation of bilateral ties to a strategic partnership. Chinese Premier Li Qiang is in Kyrgyzstan for a meeting of the heads of government of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, adding that China is ready to work with Kyrgyzstan on industrialization, economic and trade cooperation, and high-quality Belt and Road partnerships. And in today's edition of our special series, Biz Focus, we zoom in on the changing palettes of the Chinese diet as demand for health and wellness rises. Well, first up, Chinese President Xi Jinping has held talks with visiting Colombian President Gustavo Francisco Petro Urrego. President Xi welcomed President Petro, noting he was the first foreign leader that the Chinese president has met with since the recent Belt and Road Forum. President Xi recalled visiting Colombia back in 2009 and speaking to the Colombian people virtually during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021. President Xi congratulated President Petro on his governance achievements and believes that Colombia will continue to develop under his leadership. President Xi also said China-Colombia ties have grown over the past 43 years since establishing relations with strong cooperation across various fields. The two heads of state announced the elevation of bilateral ties to a strategic partnership, with President Xi expressing willingness to work with President Petro to benefit both peoples and inject positive energy into world peace and development. Now, since the establishment of diplomatic ties, bilateral relations between China and Colombia have developed steadily, with increasing cooperation in business and trade. Now, China is the second largest trading partner of Colombia so far this year, and according to China Customs, in 2022, the total volume of bilateral trade reached over 22.6 billion U.S. dollars. That is up 13.4 percent on a yearly basis. Among them, China's exports to Colombia stood at 15.6 billion dollars, up 8.7 percent on year, and its imports from Colombia. Gained over 25 percent from the previous year to over 7 billion U.S. dollars. China exports technological and chemical goods and vehicles to Colombia and imports crude oil, leather, and metal ores. But with Colombian President Gustavo Petro's visit to China, many Colombian citizens anticipate further business expansion with the Asian giant as one of the key agenda items. Our Michelle Vega has more from the Colombian capital of Bogota. Chocolate has never been as popular in China as it is in many countries around the world. Culturally, Chinese people are not used to eating sweets as a dessert. But Colombian premium chocolate producer Locke has been exporting to China since 2019. They say sales are growing fast. Their most popular product is a darker chocolate that is 85% cacao with citrus fruits. We made some adjustments to our recipes. We adjusted our toasting temperatures in the chocolate, and the Chinese consumers fell in love with the concept of food as a source of nutrition and not as a candy. In the world, chocolate contains high levels of sugar, milk, and what we are giving the Chinese consumer is a healthy product. 
Colombia's top exports to China are petroleum products like crude oil, with agricultural products such as coffee, tea and spices lagging far behind. But experts say there is a huge potential to grow, especially as Colombia's president, Gustavo Petro, tries to move the economy away from its dependence on fossil fuels. According to government data, in the last five years, Colombian exports to China have risen 7.2 percent from 5.8 percent. While the percentage seems small, one economist says it could be expected to grow with recent trade agreements. Colombia recently signed an agreement to begin exporting meat to China, and China has expressed interest in buying more products in the energy sector and the agricultural sector, like avocados and coffee. Businesses like Locke that have bravely ventured into unknown markets say it is well worth the risk. Angulo suggests three important steps. Travel to China, understand their different customer demands, and find local strategic partners who can help get them in the door. The Chinese are very grateful when we take the time to understand their needs. For businesses owners, it is important to understand what the Chinese consumer wants in order to give to them. We adapt our products. We cannot intend to sell the same thing in China as we do in Colombia because the taste palettes are different. Culturally, we are different. They like different things. Michelle Vega, CGTN, Bogota, Colombia. And turning now to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in the Central Asian country of Kyrgyzstan, where Chinese Premier Li Qiang met with Kyrgyz President Sadir Zhabarov on Wednesday after his arrival in Bishkek for a meeting of the heads of government of SCO member states. Now, during the meeting, Premier Li called on the two sides to promote high-quality Belt and Road cooperation and give full play to industrial complementarity. Earlier in a brief meeting upon his arrival, the premier told Kyrgyz Prime Minister Akilbek Zhabarov that China is ready to implement the consensus reached by their leaders, deepen political and strategic mutual trust, and set new benchmarks for cooperation. Premier Li's official visit to the Kyrgyz Republic will continue until October 27th. Well, bilateral cooperation between China and Kyrgyzstan is continuing to deepen. In 2019, China invested in and built the Osh Clinic Hospital in southern Kyrgyzstan. That would be the largest hospital in the area. Two years later, a China-aided reconstruction of Kyrgyzstan's irrigation system was completed, benefiting over 20,000 local residents and creating 500 jobs. This year, the Badel port between China and Kyrgyzstan is scheduled to open, while Irkishtam and Turugar ports have extended working hours to better facilitate bilateral trade. And Kyrgyzstan's former Prime Minister, Tamir Saryev, says there are many areas of cooperation to explore between Kyrgyzstan and China. The former leader sat down with a CGTN to give his thoughts on bilateral cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. Take a listen. Well, in principle, the Belt and Road program covers all sectors. This includes attracting investments in addition to those directions that I mentioned. We still have the mining industry. This is a promising and very interesting industry. Several Chinese companies are now successfully operating and extracting minerals that increase our wealth. In addition, there is now great interest in creating logistics centers. This is also a direction taken by the People's Republic of China and, by extension, Chinese business. Recently, while I was in China, we talked about this and about the prospect of creating a trade city near the city of Bishkek. 
The third direction is the development of tourism. Yes, this is the construction of hotels and campsites. Moreover, our country is famous for non-traditional types of tourism, which is also of interest to our Chinese partners. You know, I was at the summit and I listened to the speech of Chinese President Xi Jinping. He gave an eight-point keynote speech, all of which suit us very well. Now, CGTN has reported that since its founding in Shanghai in 2001, the SCO has now become the world's largest and most populous regional institution with nine full members, three observer countries, and 14 dialogue partners. So for more on the meeting of the Council of Heads of Government of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization held in the Kyrgyz capital of Bishkek, I want to bring in Professor Zhang Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. Professor Gong, always a pleasure to have you on the program. So first of all, from counterterrorism to energy cooperation and economic development, uh, the SCO covers a very wide spectrum of issues. How effective do you think has this organization been in providing solutions to what are very complex international challenges? Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I think first, uh, SCO is a international organization with real substance. It's not just a forum. It's not just a place for people to talk. There is real projects, real activities underway uh, related to economic development, related to infrastructure uh, construction. In addition to this, there are also cooperation at the level of security. As you mentioned on counterterrorism, for example, it's a, an issue belonging to the security domain. So I think uh, you know, overall, you know, this organization has been very successful over the years evolving from initially just a rough idea of, you know, synergizing and, uh, you know, national development policies, uh, addressing practical issues in the region, to currently uh, an organization in, in, in terms of cooperation over a range of issues, getting to even a security domain. So I think, you know, this is a, something that is very different from many international organizations. It's a, again, it's an organization of substance, greatly contributing to regional economic integration, as well as addressing common issues, political issues, security issues of common interest for the countries in this region. Yeah, and speaking about regional economic integration, Professor Gong, as more countries express interest in joining the SCO either as full members or as dialogue partners and observer states, Belarus, for example, is in the process of joining the SCO. Uh, what role do you envision the organization playing in the future of regional cooperation and economic development across Eurasia? Yeah, I think this region, the Central Eurasian region, is a region that is not so much you know connected to the rest of the world because of its you know mostly the nature of its uh, inland landlocked nature of the region. The countries in this region do have a, a very important concern, do have a very important interest in more integrating with the surrounding countries so as to uh, you know, advance an economic development agenda. You know, the past few years of uh, history really demonstrate the benefits of doing this. For example, you know, we can all talk about you know, this great train, this railway connecting China and Europe traversing a vast region in the SCO territories. And I think these countries have seen, they benefit immensely from this kind of uh, economic connectivity. Uh, so I think um, you know, other countries are also willing to join and they all see the benefits of this organization. It's, a, it's an organization really deliver benefits, I think, other than just uh, for place for talking heads. Professor Go, many thanks for your thoughts on that. Stay with us. We're going to come back to you in just a moment. To China-U.S. relations, where Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is scheduled to arrive in Washington, D.C. on Thursday for a three-day visit. 
The Chinese Foreign Ministry says Wang will hold talks with high-level U.S. officials on China-U.S. ties, as well as international and regional issues of common concern. Our Owen Faircloth has more from Washington. China and the U.S. have spent months rebuilding a relationship plagued by ongoing trade disputes. And as Beijing's top diplomat visits Washington, D.C., the two sides are looking to cooperate on preventing the bloodshed between Hamas and Israel escalating rapidly into a wider regional conflict. Foreign Minister Wang Yi is being hosted by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who addressed the United Nations Security Council earlier this week. Members of this council, and permanent members in particular, have a special responsibility to prevent this conflict from spreading. I look forward to continuing to work with my counterpart from the People's Republic of China to do precisely that when he visits Washington later this week. China is trying to mediate a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel as a precursor to an international peace conference. And prior to Wang's departure, China's foreign ministry set out Beijing's broader aims for his visit. We hope that the U.S. side will work with the Chinese side to put the important consensus of the two heads of state into practice, strengthen communication and dialogue, expand practical cooperation, properly manage differences, and jointly push China-U.S. relations back on track for healthy and stable development. The Middle East crisis has galvanized both Beijing and Washington. They remain at loggerheads on a number of issues. These include tariffs on Chinese imports imposed by former President Donald Trump and mostly retained by his successor Joe Biden. And Biden's aim to make the U.S. a global leader in the production of essential computer chips and semiconductors has led to complaints from Beijing that Washington is trying to stifle competition with unfair trade practices. Owen Fairclough, CGTN. Washington. And for more on China-U.S. relations, I want to bring back Professor John Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. So, Professor Gong, yesterday, Chinese President Xi Jinping met with California Governor Gavin Newsom. And throughout the year, of course, we had a flurry of senior U.S. officials visiting China. And now, China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi will be in the United States from today to Saturday. So, what's your take on where China-U.S. relations stand at this moment? I, I venture to stake out a position that uh, the bilateral relationship between the two countries is about to rebound. Uh, I, I've seen uh, several uh, positive signs. For example, uh, several uh, high-level U.S. cabinet members have visited China, uh, and most of the time, President Xi has seen them. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Galvin Newsom. He's just a governor. President Xi also saw him. Um, and there are also, uh, you know, some positive signs from the United States government, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, extending exemptions for uh, Chinese exports that are subject to uh, high tariffs from the, the Trump era. Um, and, and a couple of other things. I think, um, you know, what's happening right now is that, um, you know, the United States probably sees uh, there's some room of common interest um, regarding, for example, the conflicts, uh, regarding the two conflicts, actually, right now. Um, and you mentioned the statement from uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Uh, this is a, you know, it's a very good summary of the United States' intention on this war, uh, the war between Hamas and Israel. Um, the United States is a strong interest uh, to prevent this war from escalating beyond Israeli border. China has an interest of um, a humanitarian ceasefire right now. 
but nevertheless, I think two sides, I mean, United States and China, do see common interests uh, regarding this issue. So I think, you know, there's probably more room for cooperation right now. And I think that bodes well for the future relationship between the two countries. The fact that the, uh, Wang Yi is, in, is going to be in the United States very soon, clearly uh, paving the way for President Xi's visit to the APAC meeting in San Francisco is, is a very good sign to me that I think the, the two sides' relationship is becoming to, uh, is about to rebound in my opinion. I hope it's going to rebound. Uh, I want to turn to trade, Professor Gong, because despite uh, China-U.S. trade tensions, the value of trading goods between the world's two largest economies hit a record high last year. I want to get your take in terms of what do you make of all of this? What does this say about the economic interdependence of the world's two largest economies, despite all the frictions that we see in this relationship? Yeah, uh, 2022 was a very good year for the trade between the two countries. Uh, it hits the record, you know, close to $800 billion. Um, uh, and clearly, the two uh, economies are, you know, fundamentally intertwined and very much uh, uh, interdependent. Uh, sorry, yeah, very much dependent upon each other. Um, nevertheless, uh, the trade number for this year, from January to September, has seen actually quite significant decline uh, in terms of trade. Um, and, and um, you know, this is due to a f separate, several reasons, in my view. <clears throat> one has to do with the U.S. macroeconomy. One has to do with the United States government's attitude towards China, which, which, in my view, is not so much different from essentially a decoupling strategy. Um, and, and under this environment, um, you know, many uh, American companies are either thinking about uh, moving part of their operations in China, out of China, um, may also, um, some of them are also actually um, requesting its uh, Chinese suppliers to move its operation partially away from China to other countries, for example, Mexico or Vietnam. Um, and against this backdrop, you know, the, the declining trade is very much expected, in my view. Um, and I, I, my hope is that as the, as the, um, the, the, the political relationship starts to rebound, I think this trend towards a further declining U.S. Sino-U.S. Uh, trade relationship is also going to rebound as well. Um, and, um, you know, I think um, moving forward, there's going to be a, a period of time, at least in my view, a year or two, that uh, we're going to see some good days ahead. Uh, and, and I hope that, um, uh, you know, the, the, the more sunnier China-U.S. relationship will somehow uh, spill over into the economic arena. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Many thanks for your thoughts on all of this, Professor Gong, Professor John Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. In time now for our special series, Biz Focus, where today we zoom in on the changing tastes of the Chinese palate. The Chinese people are paying now more attention to their health, specifically what they eat. In today's Biz Focus, our very own Zheng Jinfeng finds out how Chinese diets are evolving and takes a look at the investments businesses are making when it comes to nutrition, health, and wellness. Please focus feeling China's economic pause. I'm Jun Jun Firm. Today I'm going to talk about uh, pause. Actually, this concept is intertwined with uh, individual well-being and nutritional intake. I recently took part in the 14th Asian Congress of Nutrition in the city of Chengdu, where I noticed a clear trend among Chinese citizens who are increasingly focused on their dietary choices and nutritional balance. This shift comes after three years of the pandemic and a heightened awareness of the importance for quality life and well-being. Let's explore the dietary requirements for a healthy Chinese lifestyle 
according to expert recommendations. Chinese cuisine is renowned worldwide for its delicious flavors and diverse range of dishes. However, some people express concerns about the healthiness of certain Chinese dishes due to their high oil, sugar, and salt content. In reality, Chinese culture places great importance on food health. In fact, the 2023 version of dietary reference intakes for China, or DRRS, shows guidelines for a healthy Chinese diet. Let me show you what a typical Chinese diet is. So, for carbohydrates, normally for a adult, we'll consume about 300 grams of grain, and it's better to be whole grain or half of it be whole grain. Then we'll try to consume about the same amount, 300 grams of fruits and vegetables. Now, these are very good sources of fiber, vitamins, and many other nutrients. Some northern Chinese、uh, people do not consume as much vegetable as they should. You know, they should work harder on that. And of course, we will consume some meat. It is okay if we consume less than 100 grams of red meat every day, but we try to consume 200 grams of white meat, such as shrimp and fish, a better source of protein and minerals for us. Now technologies are available to diagnose the diet by taking a photo through this machine. It can show what kind of dishes I'm taking, the energy it contains, and even the nutrients and minerals it contains. Oh, it says the energy is quite enough. You know, these technologies are now available on the market. Now, try to limit the consumption of salt to only five grams a day and cooking oil to 25 grams. Now, the Chinese average consumption is 40 grams, so we need to reduce excessive sodium and fat intake. When we compare the Chinese diet with other popular diets, such as the Mediterranean diet, it's worth noting that the Chinese diet does not require the consumption of red wine or olive oil. A fish does not have to be exclusively ocean fish. Fresh water fish is also a suitable option. In comparison to the DASH diet, the Chinese diet does not mandate the consumption of solely whole grains and does not prohibit the consumption of red meat. Instead, we promote a low-temperature cooking, reduced frying, and barbecuing. Furthermore, the Chinese diet emphasizes a sufficient intake of fresh green vegetables for a wide range of essential nutrients. Research indicates that the Chinese diet is both suitable and、uh, sustainable for Chinese individuals. So, if you can combine a healthy diet with a bit of exercise every day, such as walking 10,000 steps a day and 30 minutes of moderate-level workout, ensuring enough sleep, you're leading a very healthy lifestyle. I just showed you what a healthy diet in China looks like, but of course, sometimes it's hard to stick to a specific diet. That's why there are many、uh, supplements and nutrition products available on the market. They can be very useful for special groups such as moms and babies. The Asian Congress of Nutrition is a once-in-four-year gathering of leading researchers and companies in the nutrition industry in Asia. High on the agenda this year are mothers and infants, a group believed to need special nutrition. This group is bolstering a 300 billion yuan supplements market and a 90 billion yuan baby formula market in China, according to data from Frost Sullivan. Both markets are currently seeing double-digit annual growth in the country.
At the exhibition on the sidelines of the 14th Asian Congress of Nutrition, I can only find tier 2 baby formula from 6 to 12 months and tier 3 from 12 to 36 months and tier 1 from birth to 6 months baby formula missing because advertising for such formula are prohibited owing to the belief that they may discourage breastfeeding which is believed to be the best way to feed newborn babies. The Chinese Nutrition Society's Yang Nianhong says breastfeeding provides the best nutrition for babies, especially in the first six months after birth. But for various reasons, some mothers are unable or unwilling to breastfeed. Baby formulas can be a useful solution. Clinical research is trying to make baby formula more and more like human breast milk. As your understanding of the nutrients in breast milk depends, our cooperation for formula products continue to grow. Now formulas not only focus on providing nutrition, but also aim to incorporate bioactive substances that bolster babies' immune systems. Baby formula companies are introducing new products that comply with China's new national standards, which combine LPN, HMO, SN2+, and ELF plus probiotics. These nutrients are believed to be essential for the development of babies' immune systems, cognitive functions, and muscular functions. There are a number of trends. First of all, it's the, uh, the, the lifespan. It's not only being pregnant and then giving birth and feed your child. It's really the span of the whole pregnancy, being healthy when you try to conceive a baby as a, as a couple, then healthy pregnancy, of course healthy infancy, but also healthy child and development and children at school and children going to university. Another trend is a rising demand for supplements to boost the immune systems of people of all ages. Immune protection, and that's mostly, that's always been important, the protection against disease. But of course, because of COVID and the pandemic, people are more aware of the immune system and protection against external viruses and, uh, and antigens. Over the past decades, the Chinese perspective on food has undergone a significant transformation, shifting from an emphasis on quantity to quality and a more specific approach, the market, a scientific approach. The market is evolving to meet these changing preferences. It's expected that the next phase will revolve around sustainability, you know, eating responsibly with a heightened focus on environmental impact. But that will be another episode of Biz Focus for this episode of Biz Focus. I'm Judy Fung, thanks for watching. And back to Mike, I, I can see that uh, you look nice and fit, so you must be keeping a very scientific diet. Well, Jim Fung, I mean, I've got that 10,000 steps down, like you mentioned, but sleeping early, I think that I need to work on. I probably need more veggies. My protein intake is fine, but I totally agree with you. The Chinese nutrition market is, I think, poised for tremendous growth uh, going forward. Many thanks for that in-depth report, Jim Fung. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.